2: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Working Class Bowhunter Podcast starts in 3, 2, 1.
3: If you're hearing our voices right now, that means you're listening to the finest bow hunting podcast ever out of Illinois, specifically Sherard, Illinois, right here at 1600 Buck Slayer Place in the Bucketory, and we are the Working Class bow hunter Podcast. My name's Steve. Sitting in this room with me is Kurt, Eric, and Mark Reif, and uh, man, What's it up, is, everyone? <laughs> it's chilly in here. It's such a difference. It's not hot. It's chilly. It feels like deer hunting weather. Everybody's pumped up, man. Yeah, all the crops
0: (laughs) coming out here in the Midwest, and Illinois especially, uh, in Iowa, wherever wherever Eric's at. Um, Yeah, definitely (laughs) felt like deer season this morning, nice and frosty. Oh, that's
4: amazing. I wish I was in the woods today, but it doesn't happen that way. Yeah, I know. It's
0: going to have to be uh, Saturdays and Sundays for these boys, and uh, everyone can relate to that. And uh, it sucks, but hang in there. Your time will come. You'll, yep, you'll get yep, one, yep. especially if you listen to the show. It's good luck. It's just okay. the way it is. It
3: really <laughs> is. Everybody uh, that has told us they're a fan of the show has had uh, great success. And hey, you know,
0: David Lindsay was just on. And yeah. you see the monster he oh, shot. Man. I think it was amazing. A pig. Oh was my huge. gosh!
5: Yeah,
3: nuts.
0: So I talked to Michael Pitts today too. He's like, I got to get back on. And get me some good luck. <laughs> oh, dude, we love <laughs> we'll, Pitts. we'll have to have him on again. So
4: <laughs> yeah,
3: but, we're, um, yeah, we're yeah we're. We're hanging in there. Deer season's in full swing. You know, we're cranking these podcasts out for you. We love every minute of it. Just want to give a special thanks to everybody who's helping us out there. Uh, HHA Sports. Go to HHAsports.com. Hashtag Single Pin Nation. Don't forget to uh, share that on any social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You might as well hashtag Working Class bow hunter too. Yeah, that. you might as well. Just throw it in. Uh, Smith's Custom Meats and Deer Processing. They've been a, they've been a big supporter of uh, of us for a very long time. Almost seems like since day one, and they're killing it this year. Already? Yeah, already, you know, yeah. 15, 16 days in, whatever it is, and, man, he's got, like, what, 80 deer or something already? Oh, he's probably yeah. more. 75 uh, probably. the other day. I'm, when I'm, I'm getting was the
4: edge to take a deer there. Mm. Yeah, lying. me too. <laughs> I, I, might, <laughs> I, I, I might have to shoot one. <laughs> I, hate to <laughs> take I, it
3: there. I hate to
0: say if it's brown, it's down this weekend, yeah. but uh, that's mm-hmm. not true. I won't shoot anything. But uh, <laughs> I got a
4: couple of doe tags burning a hole in my yeah. pocket. Hey, so. I
3: smoked a deer. Uh, raccoon on the way here, so I got a itch. I need to scratch it. Drew First Blood. Uh and uh Badlands packs, man. I have been tearing my monster pack up and it's been holding up really, really well. I'm very, very impressed. Guys go check out uh go check out everybody, the aforementioned. Uh maybe that just means one. I don't know. I'm not very good at grammar, but what <laughs> I am very good at is letting you guys know that um this show really couldn't be possible without the vets. Um, all the veterans over there fighting and bringing this podcast to us in English. So um, we always give a shout-out to Dark Horse Lodge. Go check them out. It's a peaceful retreat for combat veterans. Um, they're going to be, looks like, in Tennessee, and they're working with the DNR down there. It's So you would be able to hunt, you know, fish, hang out, catch up with some buddies. They could use some donations. So check out their website, darkhorselodge.org. Um, if you're going to go to Amazon... Go to smile.amazon, and a portion of what you buy will go to the Dark Horse Lodge as long as you um, select them. So go check that out. Again, thank you all the vets that uh, help us do this podcast in English and hopefully not in Russian any time soon, but... <laughs> I can't but, learn a new language. Not no, I <laughs> can't. So yeah, it's just <laughs> Not during deer season. No, just no, yeah. Definitely just put, not during. Put me deer. to sleep, man. I <laughs> I got, got, I got nothing on that. <laughs>
0: I was going to do a social media shout out real quick, but uh for some reason my phone does not want to cooperate. Um give me a moment here.
3: Continue entertaining our listeners, please.
0: Okay, yeah. <laughs> we have a um, very
4: special episode today, don't yeah, we? Yeah. yeah.
3: It will be very entertaining. We've got the man himself John Dudley making a return Mr. Uh, Dud. Duds. duds no. uh, yeah. from <laughs> Knock on uh, TV. <laughs> Dude, the guy's been killing it with everything he's been doing. He's been absolutely blowing up lately. And did you notice he blew up right after he was on our podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. He did our podcast, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's doing Joe Rogan. and. You know he's got a lot of stuff going on, so we're gonna try and get uh, as much out of him as we can. Because
0: and- I'm sure Joe Rogan was like, "Man, I saw I saw John Dudley on Working Class hunter. I yeah. need him on my own. Oh, <laughs> I gotta gotta have that guy. We're the
4: trendsetters, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: um, this is a social media shout out. I know we've done uh, this guy before, but I was going through some old emails, making sure we didn't miss anything, and um, I found an email that he had sent. I don't know a few months ago, huh. and it just cracked me up. Like, it, it started off. I think it was I, I have a fever, and the only well, I don't know. He's basically like, I have a fever, and, and the prescription is more podcast uh, yeah, or, that's or awesome. whatever. And, that's classic. I'm um, on Instagram, uh, shaky underscore leaf. Oh, and, that guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The email I, re- I read the other day, and I responded to it when I was in Canada, and I must have forgot about it just because I was go, go, go up there working, and I just, I don't know, it cracked me up again that's when funny. I read it. It was awesome, but uh, <laughs> shout out to him. Thanks for listening, and uh, good luck to you this season. But Yes, um, Mr.
3: Shaky, legal name Leaf. Yeah, so...
0: <laughs> Well, we can get uh, Mr. John Dudley on here, and uh, Let's get him on, I'm sure him. we'll all learn a thing, or I'm, well, we're going to learn a thing. Yeah. We'll learn a lot, I imagine. <laughs> we always do with this guy. Yeah, he's so full of knowledge. And, uh, he's like an
4: encyclopedia. Oh <laughs>
3: Encyclopedia? <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. One. Maybe we should open one of those and learn new words. <laughs> that's a dictionary. <laughs> I'm not, that's just for all of us. Well, <laughs> yeah. well you do one, than the other. All
0: right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll get John Dudley on here, and uh, we hope you enjoy.
3: All right on the phone with us we've got uh John Dudley who uh John Dudley just want to say congratulations it looks like you were having an awesome awesome year how you doing
2: <laughs> hey guys thanks thanks for the intro yeah so far so good i always i always uh feel a little bit weird bragging about success for hunting, but i'm definitely happy to uh to be successful that's for sure <laughs> We
4: all are, I
2: think. (laughs) Hey, no, no, this is
3: your time to time to brag. I mean, you know, there's just everything's been going right for you this year. I mean, are you are are you excited for what's to come? I mean, you know, what's going through John Dudley's mind right now, other than why did I do this podcast again?
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, what's going through my mind is um, just trying to finish getting unburied after um being out west as long as i have and just as soon as that unbury happens i just want to be in the deer stand right now i mean i am i really want to be hunting deer there's some it seems like the midwest um on all the different properties that i either have you know hunting with buddies or whatever, it just seems like from all kinds of different states, the deer um, population and and the big buck sightings is growing considerably after this whole EHD um, spiral that we had a few years ago, you know what I mean? So I'm just happy that we're finally seeing big bucks, multiple bucks everywhere, and I just want to be in a stand right now.
0: Oh, yeah. We feel you for sure. We've been working in the fields, harvesting, and yep. it's just you can't get the weekend can't get here quick enough for us. So we're just
2: I've
4: been picking corn. And every time you see a deer out, you're like, oh, I just want to be in a stand right now.
5: <laughs> yep. Yep.
4: Um, John,
0: one thing I wanted to talk about um, just real quick before we get real into things here. um, You posted a quick little video about how you take pitchers, um, trophy pitchers, success pitchers in the field by yourself. Can you kind of. Maybe elaborate on that a little bit, because. Um...
2: Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, I, I love. For me, the success of a hunt really comes from you know being able to capture the memory of that hunt, mm-hmm. and uh, which is why I started filming years ago. You know, I started out always filming myself, and just really wanted to be able to remember that experience well after it was gone and a big part of being able to have the best memories for me anyway is taking photos and I've just you know I learned during the 35 millimeter days where nowadays you can take a picture and you have so much ability to like correct it and make it look good with programs versus having to get it right before, you know, back in the day when we had 35 millimeter, if you took a, even when you thought you're taking good pictures, you all of a sudden wait for Walmart to bring your pictures back from (laughs) development. You're like, oh crap. You know, by then your deer's like already been on the, on the grill three or four times. And, you know, you kind of miss out on that memory. So I really learned how to capture my memories with, with a good camera and learn the importance of, learning how to use a flash, you know, how to force the flash to go off on the camera. I think a lot of people make the mistake of not using a flash and then
5: mm-hmm. just
2: learning how to have like some type of a portable gorilla pod or tripod to be able to learn to put your camera on it and then learning to use a timer
5: mm-hmm. or
2: if your camera allows it, um, learning to set your camera to where you can use a remote control where then when you hit the button on your remote control it gives you five seconds and then takes the picture which is what you saw on the knock on tv instagram account where i posted that video of like my antelope you know i'm out in the middle of nowhere um super windy and kind of nasty and you know i was just trying my best to to film a recovery, you know, I, I got the, I got the, the kill on camera, but then, you know, I filmed a recovery and me taking photos and like documenting that part of my hunt actually takes way more time than the, than the actual success part of the hunt, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And I'm, I'm just, I like to be able to, to share the photos that relate to the hunt i almost i almost like that more so than the rack um right i was actually having a a conversation with joe rogan and i told him i said you know there's there's actually times where some of the real super mature animals that i shoot i almost wish i could you know i almost wish we had the ability to do like green hunts you know I always thought the the green hunt in Africa for the rhinos was so cool because you know you tranquilize them and then the money that you pay for that hunt goes into those people being able to bring in vets and the vets come in and they take blood from the from the rhinos and they check them they give them shots they give them medicine and they normally collar them and tag them and then they allow you X amount of time to take pictures with the animal and, like, you know, measure the animal in case you ever wanted, like, a replica made.
5: Uh-huh. But, then,
2: but then they wake the animal up, and it walks off. Wow. So there's, there's times where I, I personally like the photo and the memory of the hunt more, more so than the kill. I can understand
0: that for sure cuz I yeah. find myself going through my pictures and just kind of replaying the the hunt in my head but the pictures like what your buddies see your family sees everyone sees of that hunt mm-hmm. you know for forever that's But pictures. you're
4: always going to have that memory which is nice. Yeah,
0: like my kids and grandkids are going to look at pictures of deer I shot and maybe just be like oh like you know I try to take really nice pictures now like what you're saying but uh, that's interesting you mentioned the term green hunt at first I'm like I don't know what you're referring to I never <laughs> I guess I've never really I never
1: knew that either. Yeah. It was yeah. new to me. Catch and release hunting.
5: <laughs> <laughs> That's what it
2: is, yeah. I mean, you know, it's no different than than the amount of fishermen. You know, you look, there's very few serious bass fishermen that I've ever met that would eat a bass.
1: Yeah, my dad. Right, yep. My They're
2: like, like, oh, my God, you wouldn't eat a 10-pound bass. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah I, I guess. Catch I and release, it's, it's the same thing <laughs> if you look a, at it.
2: Yeah, Imagine if. imagine if you were able to, shoot a 180 inch deer and you know and then if someone's like well you know what that thing would look like next year uh, well we'll see yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll shoot him again <laughs> yeah. and that's true I guess if you're looking you, at a yeah, deer yeah how big do you think he is well he's smaller than he'd be next year well yeah well we'll get to see that you know I always yeah. thought that would be kind of cool to be able to to experience that but you know I've got to the point where a lot of um a lot of my animals that I've shot, if I have really, really nice photos and I'm able to, to get meat home and, and be able to have, you know, opportunity to have a really good meat processor or, you know, be able to get the bulk of the meat home, there's been a lot of hunts where I've just, like, donated the horns or the racks. to like for, You know, I've had a few camera guys in the last few elk seasons that have come on elk hunts with me and it was their first ever elk hunt and they were just like so taken by how cool of hunting how cool hunting was
5: mm-hmm.
2: and they're just like oh my gosh and i'm sitting there thinking i don't really need another set of elk horns at home <laughs> yeah. you know, if i'm taking like if i'm taking my yeti cooler stuffed full of back straps like i'm and I've got some really cool picks. I'm I'm really jacked with that. So, yeah, my last uh, my last several elk racks, um, I know I've given to my camera guys. Just, That's cool. You know, like, That's hey, awesome. that is
5: cool. You know, it's a good reward. Remember this
2: hunt, dude. You know, yeah. remember this hunt, and you yeah, know, yeah, they were elk hunting type thing.
4: Yeah, they were part of that experience too, because it, it kind of gives them something to look forward to. <laughs> Oh yeah,
2: they worked just as hard for it. That's what I was going to say
1: earlier too. If you look at a deer mount on the wall, and you you know down in the future from now, well, Grandpa shot that. Well, they just see a deer on the wall and heard about it. Whereas you have the pictures, this is his actual hunt, Mm -hmm. and then that makes more of the story.
0: It's a deeper, a deeper connection with that past hunt that
2: happened. And uh, I think so. I think so, but that's just me. Some people are probably like, yeah, you're dumb. I want the rack. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I mean, there's both sides, but I think, you know, the photo, It's it can get passed around and sent it capture, around. And it, it captures everything. Great. Yeah, for sure.
3: Yeah, you uh, you mentioned uh, your Yeti and uh, never forgetting. Well, I just got my first Yeti uh, tumbler, 30-ounce, and uh, I'm never going to forget that day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, some guy gets a, yeah, uh, you can, know.
2: Can, as soon as you try to drink your coffee 20 minutes after you pour it and yeah. burn your face off, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, it does stay
3: hot. I haven't put any hot liquids in it, but I've put a lot of a lot of cold liquids in it. I'm excited to see how hot it can stay. You know, if I can put it in, make it 40 minutes to the tree stand, and then get it up there. <laughs> uh,
0: well, hey, John, I'm, what I uh, wanted to talk about moving on is uh, your release. And I want to talk about the benefits of the release and uh, hunting with that release, if you kind of touch on that a little bit.
2: Okay, well, I'm just going to do a foreclosure here, or a forewarning. I was supposed to do my own podcast today, and <laughs> I, uh, I, time got out of hand, so I didn't do it. And I can tell you the one order I got from Sharon, she said, don't talk about that release today because they haven't come in yet. <laughs> She's like,
5: Next I can't question. keep up with these lists. Right. So
2: I'm like, I won't mention it. So you mention it, so I'm not technically doing something against the rules. So, <laughs> oh um, well, <laughs> we're gonna get you in
0: trouble, John. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, no the the release, it's it's I'm actually really taken by how well it's been accepted, um, because you know several companies have they've come out with releases that are a two finger model. I just don't think anyone ever really explained what the benefits were and more importantly, there was a few things that I had always wanted in a release that I could never get people to do because quite frankly, most companies nowadays they'll they'll take their concepts to a major, you know, a major distributor or a Cabela's or a Bass Pro and they pretty much just say, Here's our concepts. And then those buyers have control on what the rest of us get on the market because they're like, well, I don't like the looks of that. We're not going to order it. And, you know, if they're not going to order a container load of it, then a lot of these things go on the back burner, you know. And that's why it's unfortunate, but that's why, you know, there's times where people will see me wearing some Under Armour samples on my social media and they're like, where can I get that? And it's like, well, we were all going to get it, but you know, Cabela's wouldn't order, wouldn't order enough to justify bringing it on the market. So it, it just ends up getting sidelined Um, with my release. I just know from competitive shooting, all of my, During my best years as a competitor, I shot a small little release that Carter had made—a very, very small run of. They only made, I think, they made like 25 of them, and it was called a two special. And I loved that release, and I took it. I actually shot my my first um, my first U.S. team tournament with that release. And everyone was just like, "What is this thing?" And a few people were like, "Oh, I I got one of the you know I've met a few people that said I got one of those or I saw one of those in my shop." Uh-huh. And I actually just started buying them. And in the end, um, I ended up. I think I still have twelve of them, so I almost bought half of the <laughs> half of what the batch was because I liked it so much, and no one made them, and no one wanted to. So then. Um, You know, fast forward like 10 years, I was telling Jerry at Carter releases, I said, Jerry, I really feel like if you made the Carter style release, but if it would close when you cock it, so you don't have to like flip it open, cock it, then close it. I said, if you didn't have to do that, I said, I think a lot more hunters would want this release. Cause you can just cock it and it closes on your loop and then it's just sitting there hanging on your easy hanger. Yeah. You know, it's on your bow and your bow's on the easy hanger. Well, you know, we, we ended up coming up with, with the release, um, the two simple and the simple one, and they were all auto closing jaws and they really started doing really well. Well, then I kind of went back to the same thing. I love the fact that this closes, but, I would really like to go to my two-finger style. So he actually, he said, I'm going to make you two of them. He said, and I'm just making them, I'm just going to make them for you. So he made me two, and he ended up calling them the duds. And (laughs) I told him, that's supposed (laughs) to be like a subliminal message or something. And he (laughs) just said, I don't think we would ever sell any (laughs) <laughs> so, I ended up saying, "Well, and the in the original the duds were not auto closing. They were kind of a different design. But I liked certain aspects of it. I liked how the third finger was able to either be on the release or you could drop it off the release if you wanted
5: mm-hmm. and
2: just shoot with two. But you know, the less fingers you have on a release, it's similar to like you know people shoot narrower grips." and they like a smaller grip because the less the less you have in your front hand, the less you can torque the bow. The same is true with your release. The less manipulation you have on the release aid with one, the angle that you're twisting the release. So like when you draw back, sometimes your hand can be flat, and sometimes your pinky can be vertical up in the air. Mm-hmm. All that difference in angle changes your left and right impact and the more vertical you get the more it can change Um, it can start to change your up and down. Now the other thing that you can do with the release aid that changes things is what I call the rocking position and the rocking position is when you start to manipulate your pinkies like further back in your palm where your index finger is further forward than your pinky or if you start to make your hand rotates the rock the other way, where your index finger is further back than what your ring finger or your pinky are, that rocking motion will then change how the hook of your release it sits on the loop of your bowstring. So okay. that will start to change your ups and downs. So with my release, the knock to it, what I did was I went to two fingers, which... As soon as you drop fingers off, you eliminate your ability to rock. Mm -hmm. And you also, because you have less fingers on the release, more naturally you're going to manipulate your angle less as well When you only have two fingers, it's a lot easier to just draw back and have your index finger right under your jawline and your middle finger right above your jawline. It just feels natural. Your other two fingers are dropped off. Mm -hmm. When the the other two fingers are on a release, well then you kind of start to, since they're forward, a lot of people want to start to feel those fingers so they start to twist their hand more vertically. And in my opinion, the shorter your D loop, to affect your group so i came out with this release which has a few things that i used to custom build on my original carters and one of them is a heavier cocking spring so the heavier cocking spring on the it also helps drive that jaw open faster so you have a lot less opportunity for um for like what's called a hang fire which is when your loop is hanging on the hook of the release as it's coming off the longer it's hanging on there the more opportunity it has to have a misdirection um so i have a heavier cocking spring and the other thing too was i actually had the angle of the hook which goes on your loop when it's cocked the angle of the hook is actually on an angle. It's on an offset. It's not perfectly flat.
5: Mm-hmm. So what
2: that does is it's angled to where it it's almost like a ramp and it causes your loop to slide to the side of the hook that opens off the casing first.
5: Mm-hmm. So
2: as soon as, you know, your loop is always channeled to the one edge of the hook. So as soon as it opens, it's coming out. So you've literally got a faster opening jaw you've got less ability to manipulate your angle your rock and you've almost eliminated any opportunity for hang firing so um
4: that's a lot of thought (laughs) process into this release (laughs) sounds great
0: yeah Yeah. john i just feel like this all this stuff gets overlooked by the average archer even the, the people that are into it and want to be accurate it's they just don't know this stuff and I just got to yeah. thank you for your knowledge man oh, yeah, cuz that's awesome. a, that's incredible. I'm sitting here trying to process all this I'm like I never even thought about half of this stuff. Yeah. And it's such valuable information. It's incredible. Absolutely.
5: Well,
2: that's the beauty of um podcasts is you can play it back. Yeah, right. yep. you can and
4: always you can go, go back and right listen back to it. With it. Yeah.
2: So, um no, a lot goes into that stuff. Honestly, um, a lot of people are. There's a there's just a difference in level of archers. You know, there's right. It's just like you look at. I have several friends that are that that have done jiu-jitsu for a long time,
5: mm-hmm. and
2: and I know they're like, and I know they're like black belts. But then, if I talk. Or listen to like Rogan talk it's on a whole new level like it's it's on you know it's on a level that's that's above that where I'm sitting there thinking okay the people that I know that I would think are like awesome they would listen to him and they're learning they're like what they're learning
5: <laughs> right
2: <laughs> and then you get someone like Eddie Bravo to where he's like at a different ninja level, too, I love that guy. I love
3: Eddie Bravo, <laughs> you
2: know what I mean so and it's hard to unless you've lived and experienced so many different aspects i mean it's hard for me to put on paper to people how many countries I've been in you know if i say when I say I've traveled a million miles for archery i'm not i mean you know Jim Shockey's probably done millions of miles oh, too. yeah,
0: but. Mm.
2: I've done millions of miles in, you know, I've seen almost every archery club throughout Europe. You know, I've been, I've been in tournaments all over. I've shot with the best archers in the world um, online, on different lines and different events. And, and then, you know, I've had a lot of archers that I would have considered idols Mm -hmm. that have like come to me and started asking me questions and then all of a sudden you realize like holy crap <laughs> nothing about like they just they really don't know they're just that good at shooting They
5: right. and they're
2: not shooting at their potential because they just don't know and sometimes you yeah. even wonder well if they didn't like if they did sit there and think about things like when I'm sitting there and I call and you know, I'm like, well, okay, ni just sent me a new bow. I'm gonna build a new string and then I pull it back and I'm like, well, I don't really like how that cam stacks at the end. And then it's like, well, maybe if I rebuild it with a 14,000 halo instead of a sixty you know, instead of a twenty one thousand sixty two X, then you know, it's probably gonna roll over a little bit smoother. I'm not gonna feel I'm not gonna actually feel the bumps of that serving. But then I'm like, well, if I go to a 14 and I've got that, and I've got the the halo, you know, it's a little bit waxier. So is it going to slip more if I'm shooting it on a BCYX? Because you know that <laughs> wax is a little bit different. Maybe I should put it on an 8190. Gotcha. I mean, for me to, to sit there and explain that stuff to people, right. it's just like, I mean,
3: it's
0: incredible. I would just.
2: Yeah. I, people would end up looking at me and just thinking I was rain man or something. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: yeah. Half our listeners just uh, listen to that back again, like four times. <laughs> well,
0: well, John, like to give you like perspective, like the different levels and, and experience and knowledge of archers. I'm a measure for the Pope and young club. <laughs> and last weekend I measured a deer for a guy and, you know, Pope and young clubs, all archery and, you know, it's a bow hunting record book. And this guy, you know, and part of the fair chase form is what bow do you shoot? Well, a guy didn't know the brand of bow. And you know, he didn't know the the brand of his own bow but he's killing big he killed a big deer and then it's like i go from talking to that guy there's everywhere in between and then at the very top there's john dudley <laughs> <laughs> so it's just it's like there's a there's different levels of archers and that's kind of the beautiful thing about archery is you can involve yourself so much like you have like and you just know i mean you're the god of archery i mean and that's a compliment i'm just you just you're the guy of knowledge of archery and it's a beautiful thing that you share it through your podcast, and with us right now on our podcast. It's it's amazing.
2: Well, I, I appreciate you guys letting me on. You guys do a good
0: job. We're, we don't really uh, educate as well as you do, but... <laughs> yeah,
3: no, we're too busy swilling beers to, you know, get really deep into, like, you know... It just it blows my mind just the little things that you think of. And like Kurt said, you know, we just appreciate it so much. Just how much thought and knowledge can help us be better shots, because, you know, as soon as those uh knock to it, uh it, it, as soon as those releases are around, I, I'm I i got to have one. Yeah, you know, I was just I'm, I'm like I'm gonna snag yeah. one of them. Maybe. One of our <laughs> one of our buddies has one and it just it it it's the little things. You know, they always say the devil's in the details. Well, you know, if you're going through like target panic or something, you know, who knows? Maybe the thing that could have got you out of there was just the hook angle. Yeah. You know? It's
2: just I
1: shot l- it, it was nice. Yeah, real nice.
2: <clears throat> well you yeah. know, I appreciate people putting me on a pedestal for that, but sometimes I feel like, well, there's, t- there's been times where I, you know, it's weird when, for me, it's weird when someone like, that I really look up to in the industry or someone like a Joe Rogan sends me a text and says, uh, where's the pod, where's the podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <No>. Right. And <laughs> And, I, and I've actually had the conversation where it's like, okay, I like doing them, but in the same sense, is this getting old to anyone? Because I feel like, you know, I'm just like going through all this stuff. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I like to just, I like to have conversation and have campfire talk too. That's why I like a lot of what you guys are doing because there's times where there is knowledge, but there's also times where you're just joking around. Right. So many of my friends they're not up at three and four in the morning when I'm doing mine and um and or they're over overseas and they're at a different you know, they're at a different country and it just gets really hard to round people up to to do these things nowadays yeah. as much as I want to, the other part of it is, you know, I get these I, I print a lot of my um, questions I just copy and paste them just off my social sites and just copy and paste and copy and paste and when I fill two full pages I start I start going and I'm kind of afraid to have some people on because they just don't even know what to say to yeah. some of that stuff because right. not, there's not that many people that are that are super inclined now I will say you know a lot of my Buddies that I've, you know, there's a few, there's a few buddies I've shot with over the years. Several of the engineers at um several of the top end shooters. They, I'm not going to say anything that they don't know, but it, some of those people it gets hard because when they're hired by the right company to be there and design, they're also hired to not go on podcasts and be able to talk too much about. Them.
5: Stuff right yeah so like for, for sure, for sure. Kinda,
2: you know it's not like it's not like there are people that are that aren't smarter than me it's just they're kind of probably have a gag order for what they can talk about because they're in design mode for you know for, for something sure that's confidential
0: yeah i can see mm-hmm. that definitely okay. i can understand that and you know, like you said it is hard to we try to pump out our podcast once a week i don't think I, maybe we've missed one week in the time we've been doing it but it does get difficult with our schedules of getting guests on and you know, we we just have a good time with it uh, no matter what, and we always try and at least bring our listeners and stay on a consistent schedule and get one out a, once a week at least, you know.
2: Well, I try to do the same too, but sometimes it's like, whoa, that was three weeks ago, and then I'll crank out <laughs> two or three.
0: Right. It's tough, man. Kind of, it is tough.
3: Um, yep. Well, John. and you've got a lot more responsibilities than we do, you know family, you know out west hunting and things like that, you know we just you know some of us well the longest drive is forty five minutes yeah.
0: well, John, I want to transition um into more of the hunting um like tis the season um hunting questions here that we have for you um and one thing we want to ask you is like any uh if you go through like your approach to early season hunting on your on your properties or like hunting mornings early October, like maybe your opinion on that, because you know, the, the controversy, like, well, wait till later October mm-hmm. before you hunt mornings because the chance of spooking a deer, I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on that. And maybe if you could give us any tips for hunting October, um, and into the later October season.
5: Well,
2: there's a couple different strategies or philosophies that I have that they may be a little bit outside of the, the box. Um, one of them is this time of year a lot of people are going to have much less sightings of good deer Mm -hmm. and it's very common that about now people start whacking a lot of does Mm -hmm. um i just i really try to to prevent that type of thing you know i as much as I, I just feel like when you can get a dough that is super patternable to especially to a food source right now, mm-hmm. that is a, a huge opportunity for you. Ten days from now, mm, um, absolutely. Here in the and I'm talking in the Midwest. Obviously, this will this will be later in date the further south you go, but I just know that. Um, well, I, I, just a few days ago, I posted a, maybe I sent it to Redneck. They wanted a picture of a, of a buck that I had shot, um, with the Redneck blind. And so I sent them a picture of a buck that, that I had shot on, I think two seasons ago on the show. And it was on a small little, I'm talking like a half acre green plot and the only thing that was ever coming to that plot when I hunted it early season and even on camera, it was like I sat it about three times every single time this one big old doe came down and would just, like, come through. And this time, you know, when you're midway through October and you haven't seen a buck yet and you're getting an itchy finger, there's a lot of people that are like, I'm going to whack that old doe. Well,
0: that's—I just said that in the intro of this podcast. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs>
2: well, ten days later, you know, ten—I saw her four times, and I never even thought about shooting that doe, um, because, sure enough, you know, this this buck that I shot—I called him Vader. I don't even know why I called him that, but he um, he ended up coming out, and you could tell he didn't want to, like. He was he was a four and a half or a five and a half year old buck, mm-hmm. and I shot him towards you know that last week of October, and he was just following that doe. He was an old buck that knew she was the first one that was going to be coming in, and he was just trailing her. And he came out an hour and a half before daylight. I mean, or before dark, she came to that food plot every day at the same time, and she was comfortable there and. She brought that buck right in, you know. She she brought that buck right in. There's been times in Illinois too where I've been there and you, you go on a hunt and, you know, they kind of tell you, yeah, you can certainly shoot a doe and, you know, you have these food plots where there's 10 and 20 does coming out. Well, when those does are coming out to those food plots, it means the bucks aren't really doing their thing yet. Once the does start disappearing off the food plots, then you know that the bucks are starting to harass them mm-hmm. and they're not wanting to be visible
4: they're not so com- they're it, not comfortable anymore
2: yeah yeah they don't want to come out and be chased to death and yeah. they know that they're not technically in yet so there's kind of that fine line and I, and and you go from having tons of does in the plot to all of a sudden there's those one or two days where something big will show up in daylight and scent check all of that major traffic on the main food source. And that's a very good opportunity.
0: Now we got a drop call, but we're back in it here. So you're saying all the, um, all the opportunity on a major food source with the does being out there.
2: Yeah, that's, that's such a, a great time to get one of the first shots at a real mature deer in the evenings. Um, and if you kind of change that whole pattern of those does being comfortable coming out, I think you just, you just lessen your opportunity for success there. And then the other thing is this time of the year, um, I had several discussions with someone who I value a lot when it comes to deer Mm -hmm. and his name is Gary Clancy. Oh yeah! I don't know if you remember seeing Gary Clancy on some of Real the original Tree. monster, monster buck videos.
3: Yeah. And Mark's all about that uh, life. Yeah.
2: But Gary was, he's an awesome outdoor writer, very notable up in like the Minnesota area and someone that I really looked up to. And he had kept a journal. He's kept a journal, a hunting journal his whole life. So he literally has documentation of what he's seen, um, his whole life on stand, what the temperature was, where the wind was coming from, Mm
5: -hmm. and he
2: started to notice a pattern of what, what he called an early rut, which would be right about this time of the year, around the 14th, 15th, 16th of October, he would see some rut activity on some very mature monarch does. Um, where big bucks would would be on a very old doe that was actually he, what he thought would be coming into estrus early, and he said, you know, if you can take, if you can seize that opportunity, you can have a good chance. Otherwise, the bucks are really slower during this time mm-hmm. until that time where I told you, where all of a sudden. There's a high number of does out in the food, and then boom, just a big one just shows up. And and normally what happens is you're kind of you get a false sense of the rut because you're like, wow, it's on this sucker. You know, there was a big one. He was nosing everything up. He was bumping everything around. And then all of a sudden, once that buck kind of comes out and checks those fields for one night, maybe two. A lot of times for me, that's here in the Midwest. That's been between the 23rd of October and Halloween. Mm-hmm. And then once that happens, what, it's almost like those mature deer—they know which does will be coming in, and then they they kind of vanish, and they're gone until uh, until the the actual true rut happens when some of those does are are truly in. In between there, you'll see a lot of dinky bucks kind of messing around. You know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, the rut's happening. I saw a buck making a scrape. I saw a buck, you know, just dogging a doe. But if that's a two-and-a-half-year-old deer, that's that's not a true indication. You know, right. when you when you're seeing fully mature deer, three-year-old, four-year-old deer, that are doing that and they're they're chasing a doe or even breeding a doe, that is the indicator. The young ones are always kind of the first ones to kind of get fired up before it's actually time.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: But, you know, I like to seize the opportunities for hunting low-pressure stands that allow low-pressure entry and exit for morning hunts during th- these next probably 10 days.
5: Okay. Once
2: that happens, I'm definitely, once the end of October comes around, I'll, I'll focus pretty heavy on food sources on the evenings. I like to get those those first, I want to be there for the first mature bucks to show up on major food sources with high concentrations of does. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's a great time for those those bucks like to work a lot of the edges of the food sources and do a lot of um, you know territory marking, and then once the rut's on, then it's get somewhere thick and nasty and be there for the day.
3: Gotcha. Yeah, okay. I like. Um, I, I know uh, Bill Winky always puts out a um, <clears throat> like a weekly newsletter, and it's nice because he's you know he's local. You know, at he's he's pretty close to where we are, so you know when he gives you the hey, what's going on you know, this is the weekend you should be out. I I always like reading that, you know, and then that's a nice indication too. When the ruts come in, it's a lot better than the Facebook memes that'll tell you, (laughs) hey, ruts here, you know, that squirrel that's always there. You know, (laughs) I like, I like when somebody, you know, can put it down that, you know, hey, if somebody's seeing stuff here, you know, it might be those, those really early bucks. And yeah, that's a, that's really useful knowledge. You know, it's, gonna help a lot of guys out there i think yeah and dudley
4: when you were saying you know quiet in and out of your stand um i was listening to one of your podcasts and you said that you take a children's rake in with you and rake your trails as you leave i thought that was an awesome
2: tip which one was that i I didn't make
4: out that last part when uh you take one of those children's rakes with you to the stand and you rake the trails of the leaves so they're the mature bucks will take a quieter path is what you said. And I thought that was an awesome tip that you gave.
2: Yep. Um, what's funny is I was just out the last two days. I can give you guys a couple tips. Well, you may already know them, but (laughs) during this time of the year, probably not (laughs) do a lot of, I do a lot of prep work. I, I haven't, I can tell you this. I have not hunted one day in Iowa. You know, our season's been open... uh, I don't know what day it is today, but... Thirteen.
4: Thirteen days.
2: (laughs) It's been open 13 days. (laughs) I should have hunted today, because that's my lucky number. But... And I have not hunted yet. And the reason is, you know, one, I didn't have any... What I would call... I call them day walkers. And those are deer that... For whatever reason, are walking in daylight hours that are still patternable.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the, my mature deer at this point. I have a few day walkers that I that I would like to really get a good look at to know whether or not I wanted to shoot them. But they're also in an area that is not. Um, it's not a very delicate area to enter and. And go out of. I mean, if, if if I go in there now, I'm well. It's evasive. Let's just put it that way. So I'm almost like kind of weighing my chips. Of I kind of have a chance. Two of these bucks are walking in somewhat at daylight hours. However, if they come in after dark, mm-hmm. I'm going to give away myself. Like guaranteed getting right. out. Right. So. Right now, what I do is one, I I never, I never do any of my prep work on a weekend, and I never do any of my prep work during hunting hours. So, you know, I'm definitely, I'm not ever going to help my neighbors out. You know, yeah. I, I I went in, I took Tuesday and Wednesday off of work to go in and do some last minute touch up on my safety lines and i mowed i mowed all my paths to my stands i've got like a little the other thing i have too is um just like a little hedge trimmer on like a weed eater thing mm-hmm, and yep. it's one of the steel ones you know that you oh yeah with the attachments yep. you can angle it so i just angle it so when i walk i just trim right flush to the ground And then when I get to the end, I'll just take my rake and then just rake my way back out. Because when I start hunting, I want to be able to just have as quiet a way in as possible. The deer will certainly start using that because it's easier, especially like in my CRP fields where I have native grasses. I've, you know, I I think one of the, the coolest little investments that you can make if you're a small property owner, it's one of those um, pull-behind mowers for your four-wheeler and mm. and a harrow drag for your four-wheeler. Like, if you have those two things, you can do a lot of stuff. You know, if you have a, a, feet, uh, a farmer that can disc a little plot for you and then you can hand broadcast spread it and then just drag it with that drag, harrow drag, you'll get yeah. a great food plot. And then from there, you know, being able to just do some trimming and, you know, and, and – be able to create a good path for you to go in and a good path for you to go out. Um, Those are critical components to being successful for mature deer. A lot of people don't do that. And yeah, I do have a little kitty rake. I bought it at true value. You know, it was mainly for your kid to be out in the yard raking with you. But what I like about it is I can, I can actually put it in my gun scabbard on my backpack and I just like, When I go to a stand for the first time starting these next weeks, I'll take that with me, especially once the leaves start to fall. I'll go in with that with me. I'll just kind of leave it at the bottom of the tree. And then after I hunt in the morning, I'll rake my way right out in the midday. And then the next time I go in there is probably going to be prime rut, and I've got a perfectly quiet way to go in and out. And the other thing is is the deer really, really start to utilize it. I well, mean,
4: it's a, it's such a small little thing that's going to help you so much, you
1: know what I mean? It's, a gr- it's great. I do that, too. I mow all my trails. I shoot almost all my deer on a mowed trail from my tractor, and I always rake or shove stuff out of the way when it's just got done raining or it's still wet. So it's quiet to do, too, on your way out so you're not raking right. dry leaves. and you know-
0: Yep. Yeah, that works great. One thing I wanted to get to Dudley real quick is I'm actually hunting a new property this year and it's relatively small. Um, the main timbers may be 20 acres at the most. And it's, it's North of a cornfield and I have three ravines throughout this property and I'm going in and I'm going to hang two more. I have one stand in it. I'm going to hang two more, <clears throat> three tips that you could maybe give for someone that's hunting a new property. Um, to basically what to look for right away. Um, Maybe like, so there's a creek that runs through this property and then the ravines. Is there any tips for hunting over ravines or around creeks or anything like that that you can give us um, or any tips in general for hunting a new property?
2: Well, yeah, I think there's a few. One, you obviously got to look for the main, you kind of need to figure out what your particular piece is. Is it a transition area Is it a bedding area or is it a destination? Mm -hmm. Because that's really going to determine a lot about how, you know, if it's a transition area, then you almost don't really have to worry about not getting to the right part of the property Mm -hmm. to be sitting and waiting for deer that you intercept, which I actually really like to hunt a lot during the early part of the season. I personally like transition areas to where deer are coming or going from bedding or to food and they're not necessarily going to be sleeping there and they're not going to be staying there to eat. They're just coming through. Yeah. You know, you're just hunting, you're hunting saddles or, you know, especially with like creeks and things like that. It's normally easy to find crossings, um, what you have to be careful of, though, is a lot of times those creeks and ditches, they also start to get a little bit squirrely in the wind.
5: Mm-hmm. So
2: it's pretty important. I really like to have those wind floaters. You know, it's pretty much milkweed is all it is, but it's nice to be able to get to, to get in a stand or, you know, I, I do a lot of my tree scouting with climbing spurs that I got off a, a lineman that um, does telephone poles. I have climbing spurs and a climbing belt, so if I have a tree that I'm like, okay, this looks like it'd be a pretty good spot, I'll actually run up the tree with my spurs and then let some of those things go. And if you see that even with the wind that you think is predominant, Mm -hmm. that those floaters are starting to get all kinds of squirrely in there, then you really, you know, that's kind of one of the tips, you you know, you got to figure out what area you're in? Are you in bedding? Are you in transition? Are you in food? And then you have to figure out what can I do to have the least impact for scent? And once you've determined those things, then you're gonna set your stand locations. You might not be able to be on the best trail there because the because the wind swirls. Yeah. And then the other thing too is I think a lot of people overlook this is whenever you set up a hunting spot, always have one alternative stand for a south wind or an east wind. Mm. Very few people like actually take the time to create a secondary stand for a non preferred wind. Even if you may only hunt it twice per year. I can tell you that if you're hunting a very mature deer, if there's two times that you go in and say, "Well, the wind isn't totally right, but if he comes from this way, I could still get away with it," right? It's you're a, rolling yeah. the dice. You're rolling the dice, and if it if it truly is a mature buck, that's it.
5: Yeah, like, He's you're, know you're right done. Away.
2: Yep. Yeah, you're done, and you're pegged. So, you know. I, Some of the best stands on my particular place, I've come to find out, are stands that I actually set up for an east wind, which is very hard to come by. And I set them up mainly as a backup plan. But then once I sat it, I'm like, dang, do I see some deer here? Because they're feeling so comfortable coming out. And I'm thinking, you know, if I would have hunted this with 300 degrees different wind no matter where it was coming from i would have never saw anything here like this is this is perfect for that so a lot of people don't set up for the for the the you know the low percentage wind and a lot of people forget to set up a really dynamite late season spot for a south wind and i think having a great south wind during the late season because there's always some even though it's cold and and nasty some of the biggest weather change days during the late season always come with that south wind and right in front of it when there's great movement
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good tip and that's you know that's one thing i'm definitely going to consider is what the wind does when i go into these ravines and
4: if Not a lot of people think of an east or south wind, though, because it hardly ever happens. Right. Very rare. Well,
0: the thing is, John, so would you recommend, say I go down in these ravines, and this is probably a good tip for our listeners also, because there's a lot of ravines. If You know, sitting down in the ravine, your wind is going to do some squirrely stuff. The best place, would you say, is to set a standard be at the peak of that ditch or the ravine to where the wind's not going to have as big an impact going through the valley or going over the valley and, like, hitting the... What do they call it, like where the water swirls in, in a creek? Um,
5: yep, yeah. I can't yeah, think of the name
0: pool. right now, but.
2: Yeah, I don't know either. They call them a tide pool or something? Yeah, with the, where the
0: water just sits there and swirls, the wind kind of will do the same thing yeah, and cause the wind to do crazy stuff overneath it. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but. Um. Yeah,
2: well, it does. It does. And the other thing, too, you have to remember is, and a lot of Western hunters learn is, they learn about the inversion, and they learn that you know in the morning and the evenings the air is always going down. So it gets tough, you know, when you're trying to get above elk at first light, because your wind is going down. Even if the forecast is calling, you know, for a wind straight out of the west, that wind could be coming straight down from the east at first light before that air flips over, and. You have to learn that about your spots because if you have a spot where it does blow down that creek a certain way when the air is super cool, Mm -hmm. then you may have to, like, utilize that spot more for, like, what I call a gentleman's hunt, and that is midday hunts where you go in and you actually start hunting at, you know, 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning, and you hunt from 8 or 9 till 1, and you're not going in at first light. You know, you kind of wait, you go in there when you know you're not going to blow everything out of those certain areas because, you know, there's certain spots that, well, you know, I even put this to use on my elk hunt um, two weeks ago. There were spots where we knew where the elk bedded every morning, but you also, and you kind of knew where the elk were feeding and they were miles apart, but... It would be easy to say, "Well, I'm just gonna go I'm just gonna go up to that bedding and be up there, and when it gets light, I'm gonna wait for everything to come in. The problem is you don't know what all you pass or what all you blow out going mm. in that spot, so we would wait till daylight, and you know once daylight started, you start to realize. Oh, crap. Yeah, we would have freaking blown out like, you know, two different harems trying to hike up those four miles to get up there. You know, it's almost a bummer because you're starting out late and you feel, you know, you kind of worry about it. But there's certain spots where you need to you need to play it smart and and weigh out what is going to do the least amount of damage to this place you know, like I said, I don't want to be, I don't want to be my neighbor's, um, best friend for hunting. You know, I don't want them to be more successful because of my stupidity. Absolutely.
4: You know? makes right. a lot of sense. And,
2: and small pieces of property like that, which I feel like I've got to where I am as a hunter in, in the industry by half by, by that's all I used to have. You know, when I when I lived in Wisconsin and started, you know, kind of started my DVDs and started filming the first few seasons, I owned 10.03 acres, you know, mm. and and even back then, Bill was just, you know, Winky was just getting his Midwest whitetail thing going and I remember he had called me and he said, "Hey, I'm trying to find someone in Wisconsin that he's like, I would love to have someone that has success on like a super small piece of property. And he's like, you're always shooting deer on, on 10 acres. And I said, yeah. And it, you know, you learn, I know you can do it if you're in the right spot, especially if it's a transition spot. Those are almost the best spots for small acreage. And the first piece, the first property I ever bought that was not, not where my home was. It was a a 40 acre piece. And, it was literally right dead in between two big farms. And it was, you know, it was, there was no place to put food. There was no place to have CRP. There was no place to have water, but it was on a, it was on a ridge that connected two big pieces of property. And it was just a transition area. And it made it nice because you could just, whichever way the wind was blowing, you went in on the safe side and you just spent time there and, you know coming up here in a few weeks those those mid to late morning hunts are going to start producing and especially this year because our moon our moon is going to start to be less favorable here really quick like tonight the moon was a perfect position for an evening hunt It was already about 30 degrees off the horizon, like 30 to 45 minutes before dark. Mm
5: -hmm. Tomorrow,
2: that full moon is going to be coming up probably right close, probably within 30 minutes of dark. You're going to have almost a harvest moon coming up, um, which is a good... The next two nights are very good evening opportunities, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, So the 14th and 15th are kind of some good picks for my days. But other than that, you know, we're going to have we're going to have a very bright moon moving into this pre-rut time frame which is going to mean, you know, some of those late morning hunts are are going to actually be a little bit more productive I think earlier in the rut um than than, you know, last year or in the last few years mm-hmm. um but I love I love doing those hunts where, you know, if for whatever reason, you, your kids have a swim meet on a Saturday and you have to go to that. Next thing you know, it's 930, but before they're done, I mean, don't be afraid to get in a stand. If you can get into a thick area or like those creeks like you're talking about or mm-hmm. any of those beans, if you can get in there at 10 o'clock, you're going to have a more consistent wind and you're also going to have a good opportunity for one of these huge bruisers to come cruising through. And you're probably going to be much more alert getting in there later and kind of being on your toes for three or four hours versus, you know, trying to grind it out for 12, 13 hour days.
5: Right.
4: Absolutely. So
0: say, say, okay, it's late October and I decide I'm going to sleep in a little bit and I get rested. I go out, like you're saying, go, not right. I'm not it's not dark, but it's not full-blown daylight. Is that a good time to sneak in and sit till what time do you think would be a good time to sit in in this in this creek bottom in the timber? I mean, I know it's kind of rough and I'm generalizing um pretty bad here, but it just rule of thumb what would you kind of recommend for me to do that? And would you sit there till dark or would you sit there to a certain point and then switch and head to another spot or what do you think there?
2: Well, um,
0: I know it's super general, but I guess it's,
2: you know, I had a years ago, I had a buddy of mine come up to hunt with me kind of during that pre rut first week of the rut time of year. And he kept, he'd go out in the morning and by nine thirty he was calling me saying, Hey, you know, I haven't seen much. And at about the third day. I literally picked him off and I was bringing him back and I was putting him in my best spots. And I said, Jason, I know you're a deer hunter. I'm just going to tell you this time of year. I said, I can't tell you what's going to be the best spot, but you have to be in a spot. I said, you know, I said, right (laughs) now the best spot in this area could be at that guy's mailbox. Because I said, if the first hot dough of the year, is there, then probably the top three bucks within a half mile of, the, of our property or any of our properties, every buck is going to be on her. And I was literally telling him this, and I said, you know, I know you're bored and you haven't seen nothing all morning. I said, but you, you have to sit in your stand. And no soon as I said that, I actually came – Around the corner on my dead-end road, and this is when I own that 10 acres of property, I had a dead-end, like just, I had a private driveway. And I come around the corner, and here's my house. And my ha- where my house was, it was 70 yards to the bottom where the bottom of, you know, I paved for 70 yards, and then I had my mailbox down there where my, mail, or my mailman would put my mailbox in. And I literally look, and there's, well, I have the buck standing er, right over me right now. There's a 170-inch buck standing on my septic field with a doe bedded right underneath him. And this is like 9.45 in the morning. And I just said, like that. And no, as soon as I said that, I literally, like, put my truck in neutral and like, hopped out of my truck, and I'm my truck is literally coasting into my like into my ditch, <laughs> and I'm I'm reaching in the back of my my truck, I'm unzipping my case, pulling my bow out, putting my release on, like as the truck is like crashing into my mailbox and into my ditch. So you, you and can, I literally like stepped into my yard at full draw and shot the buck. Oh man, <laughs> that's a hell of a <laughs> and, story there. And he like right gets out of the car. And he's he's like, he goes, "What what'd you do?" And I go, "I just killed that buck." And he goes, "He's like, did you shoot that thing?" And I said, "Well, heck yeah, I shot it. See how big it was." And he goes, "He's like, I got to get back to my stand." I'm like, "Oh, you're dragging the deer for like we got a deer to take care of." But yeah, I mean. I, I had literally just told him, like, that guy's mailbox could be the best thing. And two <laughs> minutes later, <laughs> here's, like, a buck of a lifetime, 70 yards from my mailbox, <laughs> literally, like, standing, tending the first hot dough in our area on my septic mound.
1: Oh, my you know, it's just
2: That would it, be the most it, epic it just thing things to see. like that, you know, that, uh, that know. are just... That totally crazy, fit,
1: totally fits you, my you hunting have spot
2: to be out
1: there that totally fits my hunting spot, John. I got to get my daughter on the bus every day and then I sneak <laughs> out to this one spot, and it's already light, but it's a transition zone, and I know there are a few does that bet on our property, so i I'll, I'll sneak in there after daylight all the time, and then I'll just sit and wait and I'll hunt till noon or one and I get. I tell my son that, too, when he goes with me. Dad, we're not seeing anything. I said, just wait, 10.30, I promise. Sure right. enough, here they come.
0: <laughs> oh, that's such a good story. Yeah, it's... Hey, it's that guy's
3: mailbox happened to be this guy. That's just, uh, you know... That's one of them... Uh, that, that's one of the coolest, you know, hunting stories out that's there. That's probably but the best one I've ever heard. Yeah, obviously you weren't <laughs> hunting, but it's like, you know, me and uh, Kurt have talked about it. If you ever see, like, any of the, like, read the Pope and Young stories of these guys uh, on Bucks. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, how it used to be where you're sitting in stands, you know, you're trying to, you know, locate a big deer, you know, you've got trocams and stuff. These guys are just kind of driving around, happen to have a rifle in the truck and, you know, there's some epic stories there. I mean, you know, I think the way that we do things is a little more ethical, but it, Not Pope always, and
0: Young stories. Uh, You're talking about like legendary whitetail stories. I thought like, yeah, I
3: thought one of them was a Pope and Pope, Young deer. Well, I was in Canada, in there, so. Son. Well, oh, no, 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 Pope. Uh, it might have been Boone and Crockett. Yeah, I'm sorry, I got those two mixed up.
0: But, uh, oh, John, I wish. I mean, we got to do more because we could talk to you for hours. We don't get through. <laughs> we have a whole list of questions we want to ask you, and we're getting out of time here. But thank you so much for just blessing us with your knowledge and your stories, and just this is an episode that I'm definitely going to play over again before I hang my stands this weekend and uh it sucks that the only time I have to hang a stand is on the weekend and I'm hope I'm not helping the neighbors out. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well you will be. <laughs> I'll guarantee it. Unless you're there after eleven.
0: Well <laughs> yep, that's just... the thing. I will be there
2: midday.
0: Um you know maybe I'll try and slip in late morning and hunt for a little
3: bit, then get down
0: yeah. and go. Hey
2: any of any of your neighbors about 10 o'clock on Saturday, get in there.
3: Or just buy the property next to you and be the neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) You could do that too. You know, I think,
0: you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do it a little different now and I got to thank John Dudley because of that. So thank you. Um,
2: Yeah. And I, and I also days where I'm, if, if there's days where I want to like, you know, say you're hunting a spot, there's certainly times where I've had stands in areas that have been productive for many, many years, but then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, the deer might, their movement might change or their pattern might change by 100 yards or something, even in the timber. And you're like, man, I really need to be over there kind of by that tree. That's where I'm seeing everything. You know, I I really like to pick those days where it's just like blistery wind or, you know, without being unsafe, the days where it's just like shedding rain
5: those are really good
2: days to make adjustments, you know, because a lot of times the deer are really hunkered down and you can get away with a lot of that stuff. So I, I really do that. If there's times where I need to like, you know, if I know I need to go into an area and change a set or hang a set, you know, those days where a lot of people feel like, man, I'm not going out today. It's miserable out there. Those are really good days to make adjustments because your likelihood of, of a of a competitive hunter being out are lower for one and for two your opportunity to like you know versus a a normal quiet morning you're gonna just do way less damage and obviously if it's a a nasty rainy day you just you know you get to to wash away a lot of your scent too so that's a great tip i I check
1: my trail cameras that way Pay attention to the kind of weather that's coming and do that. Yeah, kind of very stuff. good time for that. Yeah, yeah.
2: To like go pull cards or whatever. Yeah, you uh-huh. know, um, this year, um, Stealth Cam came out with that little card reader, an iOS card reader
5: mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm.
2: plug right into your iPhone. You just download their app and then you can literally play that thing um, right from your stand. That's so big for me. I can tell you that one thing I do is. I have a um, SD an empty SD card always in my release pouch and well there's there's a couple things I always have a lighter just for you know it's kind of been a survival tip I've always've always, I've always carry a lighter I always have an extra battery to my range finder and I have an SD card that I always have those three things in my release pouch and what i do is i'll go to the if i'm ever going to a stand where i pass a camera a lot of times once season is really rocking and rolling i'm not checking my cameras unless i walk by one and i'll just literally put a new card in it pull that card out format the new card that's in it set it and keep going to my stand and then get up in my stand and you know once uh that kind of lull part of the day starts, I'll get that card out and just kind of scan through. And it's nice now because I don't actually have to have a card reader. I used to have to take a little um, a little card reader like those old back ones, but
5: right. they
2: were pretty slow. Now, now with this little Stealth Cam iOS reader, you can just plug it in and just like scroll right through. Uh, it works really, really nice to be able to have a good idea for what's
5: coming. Does well, that... I know what I'm buying right uh, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because I, uh, okay.
3: yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's too much to sometimes you want to take an iPad out there. Or that's what I do. I take an my... iPad with the card
0: reader, but I want to use my phone.
3: Yeah, or some guys can't afford, you know, uh, like the, um, you know, I know uh, like Moultrie has the uh, wireless system, but, you know, sometimes that's, that's a little bit more expensive than. You know, if I had, I already have the phone, I already have the camera, you know, being able to check it right then and there onto your phone, which is where you're going to want your pictures anyway. I mean, that's huge Mm -hmm. for sure.
2: Yeah, Um, yeah, absolutely.
3: So, but John, where can people
0: find you? I know obviously people already have found you, but where, if they haven't and they heard for some Magical reason found out about you through us. Which poor souls! <laughs> Welcome to that your works. first hunting podcast. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Where can people find you?
2: Um. Well, you can go if you're into hunting and that sort of thing. Then you just look up Knock On TV. N O C K T V. Um, there's no K at the beginning. Just N O C K O N T V. Um, that's my Instagram and my Facebook page and my Twitter. Account. Um, you can go to knockonTV.com, or you can go to Knock on Archery on YouTube and see all my videos and episodes for free. Um, or if you're listening to this podcast, but for some strange reason you don't like dead animals, then you can go to the John Dudley athlete page, and then it's <laughs> mainly target archery and technique. Oh, so.
0: If someone that doesn't like dead animals made it through this podcast, um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for tuning in, um, and uh, good, good luck to <laughs> yep, <laughs> yeah. well, you. Yep. Know,
3: well, just be sure hey, to go, hey. just go like the the Instagram page and scroll through because you're going to see a very famous celebrity on there. It was when you, I think you were at UFC. I think it was that McGregor fight. So. You met Justin Timberlake, one of my idols, so that's awesome.
5: You know, T-Bone
2: said that, too. <laughs> Did he really? Yeah, as soon as I made that post, T-Bone was texting me. He's like, dude, he's like, I love me some JT. <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: awesome. You need, since, since apparently you know him, you need to get T-Bone in Justin Timberlake's next
2: music video. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> much as i kind of want to see it i kind of don't want to see it I, well, hey, you know you gotta you
3: gotta take the good with the bad you know
2: yeah uh, no Bone and i we're, we're gonna do a podcast together you know what's stupid is i've said how many times i want to have guests on I've like i threatened it a million times on my podcast but um t-bone and i it's just hard it's hard with people that do a lot of appearances to like coordinate schedules but yeah um you know, T-Bone and I both turned pro together. So we actually, um, we were just lovers to all this type of lifestyle way before anybody, way before it was like, cool, you know, it was just what everyone did. And, you know, we would, we'd be at archery tournaments, shooting bows to become better as bow hunters. And, um, you know, I'd, We'd be there, and I'd be listening to T-Bone make squirrel calls and stuff, and he does a really good squirrel call.
5: <laughs> we love Things T-Bone. Like we'll have to ask you about that yep. next
0: time we have him on. I just talked to T-Bone this week, and uh, I talked to him, and then later in the afternoon he killed a a big doe out in, uh, I think he's in Pennsylvania right now. Yeah, and, the uh,
3: Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And then
0: I also, John, real quick while you're on here, I got to send out, uh, I was just at uh, Mr. Tim Kidd's house. He set up my new Hoyt Defiant for me. And uh, we're we're watching you with this little boy, uh, Logan, and that kid loves you. He loves your <laughs> show,
5: man.
2: Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. But well, I heard I had one fan, so. <laughs> hey, that's him. He can't vote yet, but, uh, you
3: know, he's, he's a fan of yours, no doubt. Well,
0: Tim set up my Hoyt Defiant for me. We're in there messing around in this little shop, and we're sitting down in his living room. And Logan, his little boy, is sitting on my lap with a book, and I'm reading him this little <laughs> book. And then Tim gets on the DVR and pulls up "Knock On," and then right away hops out of my lap straight up to the TV stand and is jumping around. And like all he was saying was "Knock On," and I'm like, "Man, that's, <laughs> that's incredible, <awesome>. man!" <laughs> like as soon as your intro came on, he knew exactly what was going on, and he <laughs> hopped right up. It, it was awesome.
2: I think he sent me a video of that from his phone one time. I think he texted me that cuz he's like he's going crazy when he hears your intro music. You know what else is funny? People's dogs like I I've had we've had so many emails from people that say our dog goes crazy when it hears the intro to your show. I've got like my one buddy in Kansas he had to buy a new TV. The dog like pawed the TV to death because it was like got so excited it would run up the wall oh and goodness. just like jump up to like see the TV. And uh, I kind of thought, well, that's that's crazy. You know, my buddy Marty down in Kansas told me that. Well, then all of a sudden, Sharon's like, "Hey, someone sent an email that said that their dog just goes ballistic <laughs> when the show comes on," and then. You know, it's the same thing. It's either like people's kids or dogs. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but <laughs> that's what I got going
3: backwards. for me, dude. <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, you got a market. You know, you need to need to get either kids toys and in uh, and dog toys, dude. The knock on yeah, like yeah. get get the uh, the logo in the dog. Like a dog chew <laughs> toy? Oh man, that would kill it. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
0: Well, you're definitely doing big things, John. You're an inspiration. I, I really look up to you so much and it's just an honor to have you on the podcast. Yeah, we um, all do. Yeah. We always sure. learn learn a thing from you, and I hope we can have you on again and uh good luck to you this bow season, man, for sure.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm getting ready to get after it. I'm gonna I'm definitely uh focused focused. I found some cool Found a couple cool deer, and one of them's on public land. So I really want to get a a public land deer down here, um, just to make a statement too. So yeah, <laughs> we love it. We love
4: it. In Iowa, we have a lot of public ground too. I love it.
1: Illinois, not yeah. so much. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks for being on the podcast, guys. Thanks everyone to listening. Um, for listening. Um, good luck to everyone. John, I hope to have you on again. Um stick around on the phone, real, but you guys want to add anything real quick before we get off?
3: Uh, uh just, big, yeah, big... go to uh, <laughs> can, you want me to go, here we both want to add something. Go to uh, you know, go find John on all social media, go to knock on um you go to his website and go to the store and he, you have the coolest gear, the best uh, gear. Uh, I know yeah. I've worn I've worn out the shirt that uh that I bought, so I wore it like 150 times. You in probably like wore 35 <laughs> days. <so. laughs> Slept in it how many nights? Oh, many a nights. But, uh, yeah, that's all I want to add.
1: Yeah, big thanks again, John. I mean, we all look up to you. And Mark, you got it? Yep. Yeah, I just want to say thanks for putting out all the information that you put out there, John. It helps little guys in Illinois that you don't even know. So, super appreciated. Love listening to it.
2: No problem, guys. I appreciate you guys having me. Keep Keep doing what you're doing.
1: Thank you. All right, guys. You know
0: what to do. Go shoot your bow. Good luck to you. We love you.